Welcome to the latest episode of Be Atento. I'm Jesse Ulrich, CEO of Random Productions and editor of this podcast. The Be Atento podcast offers helpful tips and stories from some of today's most successful entrepreneurs and investors, and is brought to you by Atento Capital, a Telsa-based venture fund focused on driving returns through early-stage venture investment in local economic development and job creation. Atento stands for helpful, careful, thoughtful, conscientious, and polite. As Atento Capital seeks to embody these characteristics to all of its stakeholders. Hello, well, welcome to the Be Atento podcast here at the 3CG Records studios in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Fun fact, our 3CG is the record label owned by the Hanson Brothers, um, who are kind of a hometown hero here in Tulsa. Uh, he's sitting here with a good friend of mine, Andrew, with Patch RX. Excited to hear the Patch story. This is the first podcast I will be the interviewer on. And I think you've done a podcast or two before. I have. I've done one or two. So you're, you might be more professional at this than me. So hopefully uh, you can give me some tips. But why don't we get started? Perfect. Um, so anyway, so look, I think uh, today we'd love to cover the, hear about your background and the patch story and kind of how you ended up in Tulsa and how you're thinking about the future. So why don't we kind of start with, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, before patch, kind of what's your background and your co-founder's background and, and building up until starting the company? Yeah. So I'm Andrew. I'm co-founder and CEO at PatcherX currently. And um, so I guess to give a little bit of background on myself, uh, my parents were a little bit of nomads. They're both writers. And so we moved all over the world as kids. And they had really two main philosophies when we were growing up. One was do things right the first time. And the second thing was try new things. And so we took that into every kind of venture that we did. And uh, as we were kind of moving around the world, we obviously got to experience wild new arrays of activities and different things to get into. Um, and that kind of set the precedent for kind of entering into entrepreneurship in college. Uh, I met my co-founder, Gavin Buchanan, when we were really in our first year at Trinity University. And very quickly, we wanted to build something together. Um, Gavin's history right before college, his grandfather actually ended up passing away due to a non-adherence issue. Uh, his grandfather missed a couple of days of medication, was out on a walk and had a heart attack and passed away. And it was this acute issue in his life that actually set the precedent and was the catalyst for starting Patch and PatcherX, which is today. Um, as a computer science engineer and, and him as a, uh, a, an electrical engineer prior and mathematics major, we kind of put our brains together and said, I think there's a better way to administer medication. Uh, let's go invent something that's innovative and new and bring it to the medical industry. Awesome. And so this is while you were at Trinity? That's correct. And so how did you begin? So we started with just conceptualizing innovative products. What the first thing we identified was that we had this strange apothecary model from the 1920s of this pill bottle that just hadn't changed. Everybody's seen the orange pill bottle. Uh, and what we noticed was this thing hadn't iterated in over 100 years. And so we wanted to find a way to really make that intelligent, make it smart. Uh, IoT is obviously one of the biggest concepts in the world right now. It's probably one of the more you know, innovative elements of these industries that's going on. And so we ventured into this space thinking, okay, if we can transmit data and we can help patients take their medications through some sort of smart device, uh, we can truly make a difference in how patients take their medications on time. Gotcha. And so where does one begin if you're trying to tackle that? Well, we began in our free printers and, uh, and 3D printers in the library. So the library at Trinity University had three free 3D printers. And so we started building CAD prototypes and models and just went ahead and built these horrendous and terrible designs of 
uh, smart fill bottle caps that looked like gumball machines and various other iterations that just were not successful at all. But the concept at its core was good. And so we kind of just continued to iterate and iterate. And then we got into a pitch competition at Trinity University, ended up actually getting into the summer accelerator through Trinity, Trinity University. And uh, it was kind of just a whirlwind of different activities from there uh, as we started to actually realize what it takes to not only start a company, but really build a device that's meaningful and can, uh, you know, help patients. Okay. So you go in a pitch competition. Do you win the pitch competition? We went in, we became one of the five finalists. And then uh, at the final pitch, uh, we got second, which obviously for Gavin and myself uh, was a huge bummer, but what a great chip on our shoulder to have uh, as we said, gosh, okay, we've got a good idea. We know we can do something well here. Um, let's actually go try and build this thing. And so we put our heads down for the next, you know, probably 12 months to understand not only the innovative technology and how we could actually build true and realistic technology to put into patients' hands, but also to build a product that fit into a market that needed its most. Uh, both of us have zero healthcare background. And so that was the biggest legwork was understanding how healthcare worked from the bureaucracy to the regulatory measures that are necessary in the industry. It's a very, very hard industry to get into. And so we probably spent 12 months just trying to understand that facet of this area alone. Gotcha. And so you're still in college at this point in time. That's correct. Um, and are you hiring people? Do you have to raise money? Like where, like, what is the order of things? Well, I think that's one of the interesting things about first time founders is you really have no idea what the first step is. And I think from our standpoint, our first step was, well, we can build a very cool piece of technology and it'll work. And that's really just not the nature of how business works at all. And so what we started to realize as we were kind of scrapping through different iterations of our smart pill bottle caps was that we realized not only did we need software behind a lot of this that we weren't able to build. And so we had to hire a couple of early engineers to do that. Uh, but we also needed to figure out how to commercialize this product in some way. Um, and that was just a concept that was so foreign. We had no idea how to take that first step. Luckily, we got excellent guidance really early on from Trinity University's entrepreneurship staff and a lot of the folks there in and around the community. We had some great early advisors that were on the board of trustees of Trinity that just kind of helped us along in understanding, you know, what it actually takes to build a business. And I think from there, it's just a matter of how quickly can you move through the learning curve of what it takes to build a business without having the experience in the industry. Totally. So what would you say if, you know, if you were from going from ideation to iteration, like what was the first major milestone you'd say you guys accomplished in building the business at that point? The first major milestone was to get a product into people's hands in some respects. So we worked with an external engineering firm to actually make what was at that point a plastic design into something that really did work. And so we made probably 50 units and started prototyping and testing those in really just specific beta markets. And uh, so that was probably our first big milestone. And then the next thing was we realized we had to raise money in some respect because we needed software to build. And so we started to collect a little bit of angel funding from people in the industry and then from family and friends rounds, uh, people connected with Trinity University as well, and uh, ended up raising about 95000 or $100,000 uh, which for us at that point was huge and just an incredible milestone. How we administered, how we administered it probably could have been done better. Uh, but at that point in time, it allowed us the flexibility to actually go out and build this product and actually start to, you know, administer things. We started to work with UT Health a little bit on early stage clinical trials. And that's when we started to really understand what it takes to not only determine you know, how clinically effective a product is in healthcare, which is a huge facet of building a product in healthcare, but also how to, like I said, commercialize this thing as well. 
Okay, so you've had 50 prototypes, you've raised $95,000. What year are we in at this point in time? This is 2020. Okay, so it's two yeah. years ago. Yep. And we're in the middle of COVID. This is now getting into COVID. Getting into yep. COVID, okay. Um, so then what happens? So then we kind of venture into really trying to commercialize this in some way. The problem is healthcare is an entirely uh, spread out industry and there's a plethora of opportunities to administer something like a non-adherence or an adherence service. And so we went into this with the, from the standpoint of, well, we can just build the product and administer it in a bunch of different platforms and somewhere it'll work. The problem with that is you under, just undeniably get product spaghettification where you get this split product that doesn't actually prove or do anything for anyone, but does a lot of little things for a lot of people. And so we started in clinical research, like I said, with UT Health then ventured into kind of the pharmacy space and started to work on this pharmacy related product, which we thought was a great, you know, first beachhead to kind of work into. From there, it was just all product iteration, trying to find any kind of traction that we could, you know, move through, uh, realized very quickly that that wasn't a scalable model, but we still tried to push it and then realized we needed to raise capital to find additional people to not only bring in to advise us as a company, but also to, you know, develop a product in a really commercially responsible way. How big was the team at that point in time? I think it was five people. And how, when, in the very beginning, how did you find your, the first people that you hired? All through Trinity University, different programs there. Um, and I think one of the toughest things about early stage companies is when you have little to no management experience, you hire someone to build a process. And this is a philosophical change that we made really later last year and, and really have uh, cemented in our process going forward, which is, you know, when you're early on, you find the right person to do a job. And we've changed that to now building the process and then finding the person to execute on it. And it really changes how you manage a company. It changes how we've thought about, you know, hiring new people and the way we've lied, lined out our, you know, hiring program and, and our hiring plan going forward is, we're going to build something, we're going to build a process, and then we're going to hire the right people to do that job and take it and refine it. Um, and there's a huge, massive, massive difference. Luckily, we were able to find some great engineers early on to you know, build some of this project and build um, the MVP for this. Uh, but it's a different stage and it's a different level when you're trying to put something into the market. Totally. So you have five people, you decide you're going to raise more money, it sounds yep. like. We're when? In 2021 now? Yeah. And so this is, I think, when Atento comes into the picture. Okay. So, so take me through that. Yeah. So we start raising some angel funding again. Um, this is a long drawn out process. And when you've never done fundraising before, it's immensely diff more difficult than you could ever expect. Uh, but you just have to know essentially 100% more than what you actually share. And one of the things that Gavin and I always talk about is you go into a meeting, you only share 10% really of what you actually know. Um, but you really have to have that additional 90% to have that validation, that trust with the people you're talking to. So that's, that was our process. We started raising more angel funding. We, I think we raised somewhere around 500 or 600,000. And then we got into a pitch competition. Um, Gavin, I think pitched this solo met, uh, I think, uh, Chandler, Chandler, that's correct. And, um, met Chandler, we got connected with a Tinto. And then from there, it was uh, a diligence process with you guys and uh, found a really great fit in terms of what you guys had from a value standpoint, from an advice, advising standpoint, and what the GKFF organization as well brought to, brought to it all. And we made a change. We moved to Tulsa and, uh, and then going from there. Yeah, so, so let's, let's talk about that for a second. I think we met you by something like January, February, 2021. I think we invested May, June, 2021. Yep. Um, I remember when you guys visited 
Um, I feel like you guys didn't own a pair of shorts at the time, if I, if I recall. And it was a bike exactly ride, right. and 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 uh, and the shorts were short, shorts were needed. And and uh, I, I don't I don't think those shorts have been returned, by the way. Um, <laughs> they have. Um, but, but anyways, so talk to me about the decision. I mean, there's a lot of ways to get to to access capital. You chose to capital from us, and in, in doing so, moved to Tulsa. What was the decision tree around that? Um, both was the decision tree around that decision, as well as how has that experience been after the fact in relation to it? So, I mean, there's some great things that we identified about Attendo early on. One of which is taking a chance on first-time founders is a risk in and of itself. And to find capital partners that are able to do that, willing to do that, and then provide advice along the way is something that's very unique. Um, and for us, that was a huge facet of us taking the capital and also moving ourselves to Tulsa. First of all, when you're 22, 23, um, you really don't have any roots anywhere. So moving out of SF where I was and, and then Gavin out of Austin um, was really no sweat on, off of our backs. Also, we love change. I think it's fun. It creates new innovative opportunities. And so for us to move to Tulsa was a total no-brainer. And, uh, and then to be united with this organization, I think was wonderful for us just to have that backing and that support. Um, a lot of times in early stage uh, founders that we've talked to and that we know, uh, you get a venture capital partner that just kind of lets you run. And sometimes when you let people run as first-time founders, they don't really know exactly where they're running. And uh, and I think that's an unfortunate part of it, but it just is like you learn along the way or you just, or you kind of capitulate and fail. And uh, I think just having that backing, that support along the way has been just a great process for us. And it's it's helped us progress in, in a myriad of different ways. I really appreciate that. Happy to hear that. So you've been now in Tulsa for a year. Um, you know, overall, how is it compared to what you expected? Um, how do you find the entrepreneurial community here? I mean, other than the hundred degree summers, yeah. uh, <laughs> the, the community has been great. I think one of the things it's it's an absolute change of pace. Um, I don't think Gavin and I had looked at Tulsa on a map before <laughs> talking to Atenta, but I think one of the great things that I do actually love about coming back to the city is you get your own peace of mind, you get your space and you get your time to be truly innovative and work on whatever projects you have. And I, I do think that is one of the tough things about a New York or a, an Austin or even a Denver um, is it's a lot of clutter. It's a lot of, you know, high speed, high pace activity. And sometimes that is so debilitating and so exhausting that you don't have the room to actually grow and, and develop new ideas and concepts to make your company better or you know, profitable or whatever it is, commercialize things in different ways. And I think giving, having that space to be truly innovative in a space where you feel comfortable has been one of the best things about Tulsa. There's a great entrepreneurial community here too, obviously with 36 degrees north through Atento, all these kind of different facets, they do come together in various ways. Um, and I think it's great to see kind of some of the different innovative parts really, you know, join together in the incubator space or some of these other spaces together. Okay, awesome. Okay, so you moved to Tulsa, you've been here a year. Attento Invest, um, where were you when you moved to Tulsa business-wise and where's the business today? So we were, I guess, really moving up and scaling up some of this pharmacy-based model. And for our approach there, it was really primarily software-based. We have this smart pill bottle cap. Um, at that point in time, our smart pill bottle cap is financially unfeasible for pharmacies to actually roll out our cost of goods sold is just too high for them to actually price into their, uh, their daily kind of operation. And we don't have a true financial benefit for them. This whole time though, we've been looking at uh, Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, all the value-based programs that they've put out recently, 
RPM, remote patient monitoring, was released in 2019. Gavin and I are looking at this stuff saying, is there a way that we can fit under this you know, branch of codes? Is there a way we can do this? But nothing has popped up of late. In July of 2021, CMS puts out a draft of RTM, remote therapeutic monitoring, which is this new set of codes that essentially reimburses for adherence or therapeutic monitoring devices. Um, and so Gavin and I are monitoring this, but this whole time we're still kind of running the same pharmacy trajectory. And so we go to a conference, we scale up some of the pharmacy models. We don't see exactly the traction that we're looking for in the next couple months. And then around November, when we're trying to figure out exactly how we move forward with this pharmacy model and what we need to adjust, uh, Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services puts out a final draft revision of RTM and that in 2023, adherence related and smart compliance devices will be reimbursed. And we turned our company on its head, essentially raised more capital uh, that December and January and said, we're going full force into this. We got our smart pill bottle caps manufactured. Uh, we started putting, put them into the market, test and validate some of the reimbursement elements of it and, uh, and kind of move forward from there. Gotcha. So we're, let's see, it's August, 2022. Yep. Uh, how many people work at Patch? Uh, 13 right now. 13 people at Patch. Um, how many in, in you've manufactured thousands or tens of thousands or like how many of these caps? Yeah, probably 11,000, 12,000 to date. And, and you, and you're already live in the market. We are. And I believe you've got like quite a, quite a few different clinics signed and what, what is the, what, where are you exactly from a traction perspective? Yeah. So the beginning of this year, we set out really three main objectives, and this was essentially to get us a point, get us to a point where we could find not only product market fit, but really scale uh, with the demand that we were searching for. And so we set out three things, which was validate Medicare reimbursement, validate the clinical efficacy of our service, and then find product market fit and scale the demand. Um, we did all of those things in about a four, four and a half month period, really heads down for the first four months of this year. Uh, in May, we pulled our heads up, said, all right, we found kind of a niche market that we can kind of operate in. Uh, we found that uh, these people are looking for our services and we started our sales process and about 12 weeks later, uh, we had 12 location, different locations signed and we said, okay, we've got to change our contract to a waitlist contract because we just don't have the supply on hand to actually administer all these contracts at once. So we launched our first one in June. We just launched our second clinic, uh, I guess, a couple of days ago and we have contracts and, uh, and locations uh, set to go live throughout the rest of the year. Awesome. So looking forward, I mean, where do you see the company, team, traction in general, end of this year, end of 2023? So end of this year, we'll be in about 12 to 15 clinics. Uh, 2023 is all about scaling this up. Uh, one of the biggest changes, like I said, in our philosophy at the beginning of this year was create a process, then hire the person. And the other piece was be diligent in your processes uh, and create a, as much as you can create a scalable and replicable process um, that's just going to make everything tons easier. So we've been very diligent in our approach on the first clinic that we launched to really assess all the operational variables and say, can we do this over and over again? And so we made tweaks, we made changes, uh, and we made adjustments. And then we launched this uh, second clinic a couple of days ago with all of those changes and it's gone exceedingly well. And so we're now in a phase where we can actually just create the same process and roll it out and roll it out. And so that's what we're doing throughout the rest of the year, obviously being very closely tied to all those different variables and ensuring that we're checking every single box along the way. Um, in terms of kind of the innovative measures of our company, you know, at the core of our company, it comes back to how do we help patients take their medications on time? We're dealing with really high risk medications. These are high schedule opioids in a lot of these uh, kind of instances. And, it, you know, what we want to know is 
can we truly make a difference in patients' outcomes? And so with all the clinics that we're working with, there's two value propositions that we're providing them. One is obviously a financial reimbursement for Medicare on all the services that we provide. But the other piece is clinical efficacy, and we really want to drive results over time. Uh, the opioid crisis in and of itself over the past five years has been absolutely atrocious in the United States. It's obviously in Canada and all these kind of various realms where these high-risk medications are put out at a high rate. And we want to be a, a catalyst in improving the care that's provided to those patients and finding a way to mitigate the risk that's associated with pain management medications that truly benefit patients in a lot of ways. Uh, using our data, our data is the first granular adherence data that's on the market. It's the only adherence data that exists outside of refill and fill data. So there's this 90-day gap in between. We're filling this void of data and we want to use that data in comparison with clinical outcomes to really help patients over time. Uh, over the next year or so, we intend to work with CMS and these various organizations as well to find the right ways to use this data for the betterment of patients. Okay, makes sense. Um, what would you say is the single thing you're most excited about about PetRx right now? Gosh, I think there's a lot of reasons to be excited right now. We, uh, we, we, only, we only have 20 minutes. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so I think the single most thing I'm excited about is uh, just the product innovations that we're kind of moving through. Obviously, when you get into a standpoint where you've found product market fit and you've found a customer that you can work with, it's about refinement. And I think it's the most exciting part of our company right now, which is to say, how can we increase small changes and make really small incremental changes but that have huge, huge outcomes? So one of the things that we're really looking at in our web portal is how do we make our nurses better at their job through software. Uh, our nurses actually work on site at each clinic and they contact patients, they work with patients. It's essentially a luxury adherence service for patients and for the providers. And we wanna figure out a way to really use that information, use that data and provide it back to our nurses in a way that they can actually make, um, you know, improve the adherence for those patients. And so we're making small tweaks in our web app right now to make them more efficient. They can get through more patients in a day. That's beneficial for everybody. Um, same thing on the patch cap side of things. How can we collect more data points around, you know, when a patient's taking a medication or taking the pill bottle cap off and, and make tweaks, make changes and, and that have huge and substantial effects. Uh, obviously collecting more data is going to be helpful just long-term in terms of clinical outcomes. Um, so I think just the product refinements are really, really exciting right now. And that's obviously an area in which uh, I work very closely. Awesome. And what would you say is keeping you up most at night right now about the business? Oh, gosh. Uh, the regulatory measures from CMS and the regulatory measures just in healthcare alone are an area in which we very clearly are less educated than I think we'd like to be. And that is something that we take a lot of time to really get ingrained into. And so obviously we work with our law firm, the Nixon Gwilt, uh, they're a regulatory based law firm on all of these things. We're monitoring and looking at every single piece of the regulatory and legislative changes that are happening and, uh, and trying to be as up to date as possible. That is one thing, though, that, you know, is, is something out of our range and out of our scope. And so we've obviously brought in advisors to help and adjust uh, and, and work with us on it. But one thing that keeps us up at night is certainly some of the, you know, just the changes in healthcare from a legislative standpoint and making sure that we're accommodating and working with them. Totally. Is there anything else that you want to talk about while we're still here? Or do you feel like we covered it all? I think we've covered it. Okay, awesome. Well, look, I want to say... You know, Tento has invested not once, but twice. And we're excited to invest a third time, hopefully, I think by tomorrow. Uh, it's the first time we will have done that. And, um, and look, it's been amazing in just the 18 or so months that we've known you to see how fast you guys have grown, pivoted the business, reacted to the market, hired, scaled, 
you know, there's been a challenging environment from a supply chain perspective, from an everything perspective, and you guys have really risen to the occasion. Really excited for what's ahead. Um, it's early days, but but it but it's uh, it's fun and it's fun to watch and, and grateful to be involved. Absolutely. Good. Thank you for doing our first podcast. Of course. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Be Atento podcast. You can find this podcast anywhere podcasts can be found. Make sure to subscribe or follow and to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to follow Atento Capital across all social media platforms. And we look forward to speaking with you all again on the next episode of Be Atento. Be Atento.